Thank you for tuning in to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. The following sermon was preached on July 14th on the basis of Luke 9 by retired pastor Gary Bomba. I have a challenge for you this morning. Make that a double challenge, maybe a triple challenge. Okay, let me correct myself. Jesus has a challenge for you this morning. One that I would call a challenge of grace. You heard it in the gospel lesson. Listen to it once again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Not much of a challenge, you might think. After all, all of you here, I trust, are followers of Jesus. That's why you're here. And if you are a follower of Jesus already, where's the challenge? That's a fair enough question, except it starts at the wrong end of things. You need to start at the beginning. Jesus says, first of all, anyone who wants to be my disciple, if you want to be his disciple, deny yourself. Pause long enough to try to imagine what that really means. Deny yourself. You need to realize that on this earth it is axiomatic that to take care of self is the first order of nature. Or as I might say it, self is the default mechanism that we as human beings always fall back to. Take care of self, protect self, support self, satisfy self. And the very idea of denying self flies in the face of what popular culture would cry out to you. It cries out, be true to self. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not beautiful. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm content with me. I just saw that one on a billboard a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I'm content with me. And in the face of all this, Jesus comes and says, deny yourself. And the implications of the, the word deny are to repudiate yourself, to look on yourself with disdain, to disown yourself. Really? How can you and I do that? 
Now, Luther once applied a, a form of denying self while he was in the monastery. He worked as hard as he could in every way he knew in order to live a perfect life of self-denial. In order to ward off, more so to compensate for his sins. He went so far as to starve himself. And one day his fellow monks found him flat on the floor in his cell, half dead. Did it work? No. Luther only felt all the more miserable because he was still falling short of being the perfect follower of Jesus. Some who would not be as extreme as, as, as Luther would still say that if you want to be a good disciple, a good follower of Jesus, you will at the very least deny yourself from human pleasures, or some of them, you know, like giving up chocolate during Lent. Okay, that's, that's a, a weak example, but you see, it's also still going in the wrong direction. Historically speaking, those who have been the experts at denying themselves Earth's pleasures have been the ancient Greek Stoics, the Asian Buddhists, and even the Jewish Pharisees. And none of them as a group wanted to follow Jesus. If you, like me, have some trouble with this whole idea of self-denial, let me suggest we look at it from another perspective. Remember the message that Jesus started his ministry with and continued throughout his ministry. You can say it in a single word. It was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And where does repentance begin, if not with a hard look at oneself to see what is missing, see what is wrong, and then repudiate what you find there? Look inward, where only you and God can see. Do you like what you see there? The impure thoughts, the anxieties, the guilt, the impatience, the lack of control over things, the emptiness. Of course, the list is endless, but in a word, it's the sin. Look at what you see inside you and compare it with what God wants from you and deny yourself. Repent and take up your cross and follow 
Jesus. Take up your cross. What is that cross that Jesus is telling you and me to take up? I can tell you what it's not. It is not what many people seem to think it is. You all know the expression, we all have our crosses to bear. By which we mean burdens that we carry through life, such as acne or acid reflux or heartbreak or heart attacks or bald heads or brain tumors. Yes, some are trivial and some are life-threatening. But these things are all things common to all people. They are no way specific to following Christ. That is not the cross that Jesus is saying you should pick up. The cross that he's talking about is the cross that you carry because you follow Christ. Keep in mind that just before he said this, he told his disciples that he was going to be killed and then rise again. And his disciples didn't want to hear that at all. From the other Gospels, we know that Peter spoke out against it and had to be rebuked by Jesus. And of course, they seem to have missed altogether the second part that would rise again. Nevertheless, Jesus was on his way to die. Death on a cross was imminent. And you know the kind of death that was. Persecution, ridicule, shame, pain, torture, and then death. All the forces of evil were arraigned against Jesus. They would end his ministry once and for all. Unbelieving men plotted and arranged for his cruel crucifixion. And you could imagine Satan and his demons rubbing their hot little hands in glee at the prospect. They didn't understand either. In this context, now listen to Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Your cross, Jesus follower, is the cross of persecution. It is the struggle that you go through because the very forces of evil that were working to get Christ crucified work now against you so that you won't follow Christ crucified. 
That's a cross not to be made light of. Look at your brothers and sisters here this morning. Where is the persecution? It's only in countries far away that, that people are killed because they confess Christ as their Savior. You may not realize how many, in fact, at least one report says 160,000 a year Christians killed for confessing Christ. And, of course, we know that our country has not been totally spared from that. Nonetheless, we come here this morning, and I doubt that any of us coming to worship publicly, free to do so, had any thought about being persecuted. We fool ourselves, however, if we think that we do not carry the cross of persecution. I would ask you this. Why is it that Christianity has been on a gradual decline for years already at the rate of 1% every year? And if you're a reader of the Forward in Christ magazine, a couple of issues ago you read that our church body has not been immune from that. Why is it that Christian churches are beefing up security so that you'll be safe when you come to worship on Sundays or otherwise? You know full well that we did that right here. What well, was it last year? That living Savior. Why is it that university students often feel intimidated against making an open public confession of Christ? Especially when the professor, as I experienced in a university class, declares, well, first of all, scoffs, and then declares emphatically, no one believes in a personal God anymore. Why is it that you're likely to be considered a bigot and belittled if you dare to speak anything negative about sinful lifestyles that are becoming more and more acceptable in our society. In fact, to the extent that at least one study says that 30% of so-called Christians believe that same-sex marriages are all right. Why is it that you will be called a flat earther if you actually believe that God created things the way he said he did? Why is it that you're likely to be called a woman-hater if you love children so much that you don't want them to be killed in the womb? Why is it 
that church attendances are also on the decline. In some cases, as little as 15% of the, the membership on the, on the roster are in church on any given Sunday. As Satan, is he having his day? Yet more be said. Don't be lulled into false security. Last month at a Bible study I was teaching, I was trying to convince my fellow Christians that all of us are persecuted. And one prominent member of the congregation spoke up and said, Pastor, I don't feel persecuted. Nevertheless, I responded, I think you are. And I was about to explain further when his wife helped me out. Oh, yes, you are, she insisted. They call you a Bible thumper. Not a compliment. And also, you see, we're supposed to pick up our cross, not hide it. The story is told, and, and some of you have heard me tell it before, but it illustrates the point. Told of a man who, who took a new job at a company that was notoriously anti-Christian, aggressively so, the, the people that worked there. And his fellow Christian friends were concerned about him. How would he hold up under this? And after a few weeks, they, they came to him and said, well, how are you doing in that environment? Great, he said. They don't even know I'm a Christian. Don't even know I'm a Christian. He would hide the cross in order to keep from having to bear his cross. Earlier, I said that Jesus' words are challenges. But I have a major problem. I am not able to meet his challenge. Oh, I want to deny myself. But too often I indulge myself with whether that be with pride or anger or misplaced desires or the list I'm afraid is endless. I want to pick up my cross. But there are those times when I'm more like the man in the hostile work environment. I, I find and I realize it's always later. Oh, I should have spoken up. I should have confessed my faith. I should have been bold and open. But I didn't. I want to follow Jesus. But there are those times when I have to repeat the prayer of, of the man who had a, a son who was demon-possessed. He came to Jesus and wanted Jesus to, 
to drive the demon out. And, and at first Jesus spoke of the lack of faith among those who were there. And the father said, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah. That has to be our prayer once in a while too, doesn't it? You see, all of this, this challenge from Jesus is impossible for me and, and for you. But it's not impossible with God. And that's why I call it a challenge of grace. We can't make the challenge work, but God can and does because he loves us so much. Love for the unlovable. Here's how it happens. God shows us what is at the end of carrying our cross. The part the disciples seem to have missed at that time, namely the resurrection, and that sparks faith in our hearts. Yes, the path following Jesus necessarily goes to the cross. The context dictates that, but it doesn't end there. It ends, if you will, at the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection to be with him. We are up to the challenge because Jesus, in effect, was carrying our crosses for us even as he carried his own cross on the way to Calvary where he sacrificed himself in order to open the way for us to follow. There on that cross, having absorbed our sin and guilt, which otherwise keeps us from following. And leading us to, with strong desire, to follow him no matter what the cost. We can keep on following Jesus, carrying our crosses, because Jesus lives. And because he lives, he sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts by the very message that he brings us today. He sends the Spirit to bring us comfort and strength and the assurance of forgiveness all for, through faith in Jesus. And Jesus then is waiting at the end of our cross-carrying to receive us into his glory. The vanquished, or so the enemies thought, has become the victor. And God, when he has Jesus tell us today to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, through that very message, sends his spirit to work the faith in you to want to do just that. 
And each time you falter, and you will, each time you falter, he reaches out to you again with his gospel, and he lifts you up again and makes you once again want to reach down and lift up that cross and follow him. We, you and I, will make it because already Christ's victory is our victory. The cross leads to the crown. So be it. Amen.